sort of wonder uh, if St. James, when he's writing his letter uh, that we just heard from in the second reading today, is thinking back to this moment with, uh, with our Lord and the other apostles uh, as they're arguing amongst themselves about who is the greatest. And he writes, if you hear it again uh, in this letter from St. James, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every foul practice. Gives us uh, a little bit of well, maybe it doesn't give us confidence to consider that the, that the, the, the twelve apostles are sort of wrestling with this uh, during uh, their time with our Lord as they're, as they're discovering, uh, as it were, the gospel. But again, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every foul practice. Uh, he speaks of, of this, this capital sin uh, of jealousy or envy, uh, which is essentially a sadness at the good of another. Sadness at someone else's good. You can just imagine, maybe you've seen it, maybe, you, maybe you've lived it, uh, just, how, just how destructive this vice is uh, in the context of healthy communal living and certainly uh, in the context of the church. So as the apostles are arguing amongst themselves which of them is the greatest, you can imagine uh, that the perceived virtue that, uh, that, they, that they see in the others, uh, or rather that they see in themselves, uh, which causes them to judge their fellow uh, apostles, uh, is something that causes so much strife and, and difficulty. But have we ever considered uh, that to elevate someone else's virtue uh, to the detriment of my own self uh, is precisely to be utterly and completely ungrateful for the gifts that God has given to me? This is the, probably like the, the, the first problem we have to say, with this temptation to jealousy and, and envy. It's almost as if we suggest that God didn't really know what he was doing when he decided to make me the way he made me, or when he decided to give me the gifts he wanted to give me, or place me in the state of life in which he wanted to, to place me. It's almost uh, as if uh, we're not sure <laughs> that God really has this whole thing under control, meaning like all of human history. Uh, and everything to which and towards which uh, we are all, in fact, tending ourselves. The line we use is, you know, someone who thinks that the grass is always greener on the other side. There's an article that I read a few years ago. Uh, it was talking about marriage uh, and the temptation, uh, perhaps, uh, to look somewhere else. And the title of the article is, is along the lines of, uh, the grass is brown on both sides. Why is it that we're worrying so hard? I mean, you know, we don't want to be silly, so to speak, about uh, and, and forget the, the real difficulties and challenges that we discover in the context of daily life, whether it's in the context of vocation or anything else that we happen to deal with. Um, but, to, but to think that there aren't challenges somewhere else, everything would be easier uh, in some other situation, um, is ultimately uh, just a red herring. It's ultimately something that, that's, that's more of a distraction than, than anything else. Our Lord invites us, then, in the context uh, of our vocation, in the context of job and family and friends, all of these, all these things, um, to be very confident in the, the place in which he has put us. Because all of the good things that we desire in life are also the, the good things, in, on some level, that, that our Lord desires for us. Not that we're going to have you know, perfect prosperity or everything's going to be easy in the context of this life. He never promises that. Uh, because he does promise peace and fulfillment. He does promise those things if we place our trust in Him, if we are able to turn to Him and in fact be, be grateful okay, for the good things that He has given. It is the evil one who falls into envy 
uh, and who in fact tries to tempt us in the same way. St. Paul says it uh, as much. He said, it's through the envy of the devil that sin entered the world. It's a fascinating thing to consider. So go back to Genesis, and you've read it a thousand times, you've heard it a thousand times. But it's what he says to Adam and Eve. He says, you know, first he, he, he tries to attack their trust in God's goodness. Did God really say they can't eat from any of the trees of the garden? It's a total exaggeration of the rule that God puts there. He's doing it to try and get them to, to believe that God isn't as good as he says he is. He says, God didn't, I mean, look, you're not going to die if you eat from the tree. God knows that if you eat from the tree, you'll be like him, knowing what is good and what is evil. He says, what God has given you isn't, isn't enough. He's holding back from you. There's something else out there that if you just grasp it and grab for it, you, you can have it. And they believe it. Right? They fall for the lie. That what they have, that what God has given them, isn't in fact good enough. And they have to go somewhere else. They have to go outside the bounds of what God has prescribed in order to be happy. Envious, as it were, of what God has. So it leads them precisely into sin. And we know the, we know the consequences. We know everything else that, that happens because of their because of their sin. And let's be honest, it doesn't, doesn't end there. Pilate, Pontius Pilate himself, uh, in the context of one of the pastor narratives, says he knew that it was out of envy that the chief priests handed over Jesus. He knew that it was out of envy. So here we have the same dynamic that's happening all the way up until the Paschal Mystery. And that's why our Lord uh, is preaching this to the apostles immediately before they're arguing about who's the greatest. The Son of Man is to be handed over to men, and they're going to kill him. And three days after, this, after his death, the Son of Man will rise. He knows, he knows like, how their heart is being affected because he knows how they're given over to the temptations of the evil one. We see it today. Uh, people uh, like to accuse others of having excessive privilege uh, in the context of the modern world. Uh, and too much of a focus there, we, we acknowledge those differences, we, we have to acknowledge those differences. But too much of a focus there, we know, uh, is only something that's rooted in, in envy. And there's this idea that we have to be, um, well, we can't appreciate or, or even give thanks to God for all of the good things that we have received. And again, it's as if we were to say that God didn't know what he was doing when he gave me or you more than he gave to somebody else. It's accusing God, so to speak, of being unjust or unfair. Sort of a, of, of a, of a ridiculous way to look, and to, talk, to look at and to talk about God and the way God has, has, has organized and orchestrated things. The, the real question for us is, what's the proper response? We know, first and foremost, it's a, it's, it's a matter of gratitude. Humbly giving thanks to God, because so much of what I have received um, I have been given. I didn't, I didn't earn it. I didn't ask for it. I didn't ask to be, to be born where I was born or when I was born or to the parents to whom I was, I was born. It wasn't my choice. I've been given so much. And the first thing we have to do is give thanks to God. But the remedy uh, is also given in the gospel today. Our Lord says, If anyone wishes to be first, he shall be the last of all and the servant of all. Taking a child, he placed it in their midst. And putting his arms around it, he said, Whoever receives one such child as this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but the one who sent me. Everyone who has received less than you or I has, have received. 
is in the position of that little child. There's a real dependence there. And so we can say that so much of the reason that God has given us more is for the sake of those who have less. I cannot forget, I cannot forget uh, those others who have received less than I have. It's so important for us to remember that the love of God is oftentimes mediated through the love of neighbor. And so when I, in fact, consider the other, in charity and goodness, authentic charity and goodness, that person receives from me as if from the hand of God. Not because I am inherently any better, or they are inherently any worse. It's silly and ridiculous to say that too. It's because God has, has made it in this, kind of, in this kind of a way. He wants me to love my neighbor with the very love with which God has loved me first. And so here we are then, living uh, the, the reality of the love of God in the context of our Christian life. So as we turn towards the altar, we also have the opportunity to remember our Lord Jesus Christ, who is himself God, and yet he does not consider equality with God something to be grasped at. Rather, he empties himself and takes the form of a slave and is obedient to his Father unto death, death on a cross. So, all for the sake of my salvation. What greater love has one than this than to lay down his life for his friends? And here is my God laying down his life for me. Not holding on to the things he, he is or the things he's given, things he receives from his Father. It's his language. Everything I have, I've received from my Father. He doesn't hold on to it. He gives it all away. A beautiful act of love and charity. And what, is it, and what does that do for me? Not only does it save me from evil and death and sin, it saves my soul, but it elevates me that I could be, in fact, like God. The same thing that the devil tempted Adam and Eve with from the beginning. God was going to give it to us anyway, because he's a good person. He's three good persons. Thanks be to God for that. And so we turn to the altar to, to receive that, to be united to him, to receive everything that Adam and Eve grasped for and more. Now what else can we do but to turn to God in gratitude?